This interview was recorded in October 2021, where Steve Nicholson was the guest at our Multiply Vineyard event, Leading, Planting and Pioneering. The following audio was taken from this event. So welcome. Thank you, Steve Nicholson, for joining us. Steve G and I are so excited to be able to talk to you today. Um, and I was trying to work out how I could introduce you from the snippets of what I know about you. Um, but I decided the easiest way is to get you to introduce yourself. So there'll be people listening to this and watching that, that maybe have heard your name, but don't know who you are, or perhaps don't even know you at all. So could you give us a, an introduction to who Steve Nicholson is, please? All right, I'm Steve Nicholson. I am living currently in Chicago in the United States and have pastored a vineyard church here. I actually pastored the church for 45 years. And this last year, I'm, I handed it off to my successor and I'm now retired, actually, which basically just means... I'm no longer responsible for the day-to-day stuff. And instead, I'm traveling and speaking and doing these kinds of online things. And I'm really actually quite busy (laughs) because everybody thinks Steve's retired. He has time. (laughs) I can imagine. (laughs) So it's great because I'm just doing the things I love doing. Brilliant. For... About 25 of those years, I was leading Vineyard USA's church planning task force, during which time we, we, our massive team that we had, helped plant 750 churches. Oh, my word. Like, I'd heard 400 was like the number I'd heard, but that, that's amazing. Yeah, 750. And, and you have your fingerprints all over lots of different leaders stories but also because you've been involved with people who've planted churches outside of the vineyard as well haven't you not just within the vineyard yeah I have uh in one of the more interesting uh developments God surprises in my life particularly in the UK I have ended up doing quite a bit of ministry and mentoring both in the New Frontiers Network and also in the New Wine Anglican group. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, every once in a while here in the U.S., there's usually like independent churches, non-denominational churches that end up asking me for help. Um, And I've been in places as from... A Coptic Orthodox Church, which was like really, really, really Orthodox, to a super fundamentalist GARB church. Spoke twice in John Piper's church once. Wow. So just all kinds of, you know, unexpected places that God opens doors for. So yeah. That's so, so that's the reason we wanted to have this conversation today because we your depth of and breadth of knowledge and experience is 
is so valuable to us. Thank you. Just really briefly, you mentioned New Wine Networks churches. Um, I remember one summer when you were over speaking at New Wine and um, I remember going to two different cafes before you were about to speak in our venue to try and find Dr Pepper. Is Dr Pepper still one of your favourite drinks? Absolutely. I live on <laughs> Diet Dr Pepper. I love that. I nearly considered buying some just to have here to hold up, but you did it for me. So that's brilliant. <laughs> Fantastic. You know, so, my doctors have taken away all my other vices. It's the only one left. Oh, so you need to enjoy it for sure. Right, exactly. So just a couple of other quick questions, just so that we can get to know the personal side of Steve Nicholson. What, what would be your favorite meal out? Um, Generally, if we go out to eat, we're going to go to a Thai place. We love Thai food, and there are lots of wonderful places with Thai food here in Chicago. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, what's your favorite movie? I think you can tell a lot about a person by their favorite film. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure what my favorite movie. I did quite enjoy the Lord of the Rings series. Uh, back in the day um, but currently I'm quite excited about a developing uh, sort of movie series they're like episodic a bit sort of uh, but each episode's like 90 minutes long it's like a retelling of the story of Jesus called the chosen oh yes and it is absolutely amazing it's like no other jesus movie you've ever seen it's sort of like finally somebody is doing it right um and uh there are moments that, in it that are so powerful and so wonderful it's, oh. it's like another look at the gospel in, in a very fresh way so if you haven't seen it i would definitely say it's worth checking out yeah, I fully echo that. I don't know if you've seen it, CG, but... I have, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's highly great. recommended. That's amazing. Uh, one last final question before we delve a bit deeper. Um, which prayer do you think you pray more? Come Holy Spirit or more Lord? <laughs> uh, my most common prayer is help, Lord. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> That is brilliant. <laughs> this last weekend, I was at I was speaking at a conference at a church in Western Michigan, which is a more conservative part of America. Most of the people were not wearing masks, and I prayed, "Help me, Lord, protect me, Lord." Yeah. Maybe a hundred times over the weekend, <laughs> but that was it's now been five days, and I haven't gotten sick, so I believe my prayer was probably answered. <laughs> yeah oh man fantastic that is a great one I'm gonna add that one to my list for sure um so uh, now now to get a bit more serious um I've had my bit of fun thank you for indulging us um so part of the reason we are having these leading pioneering and planting events is to just create spaces where we can gather we can you know hope the holy spirit can stir us and activate us to really step out and press into multiplication um and as i've i've we've said already and we've heard that you've got fingerprints all over people's stories and and church planting journeys and so we would love to ask you like how how did you end up in church leadership what kind of what's your story of god calling you to church plant in the first place 
what about 45 years ago or over 45 years ago maybe. actually more oh, than that because that. Uh, I, <laughs> so the interesting thing is my grandfather and my father were both church planners but growing up in the church, I vowed I would never be a pastor. Because as a, you know, growing up in a pastor's family, you become aware of the costs, but the benefits are harder to see as a kid. Um, anyway, I went to university, a very secular school, a small school, though. And it was 1970, and it was Jesus Movement Days. And when I got to this school, uh, I found two other believers who were just barely hanging on to their faith. Long story short, by the time I graduated, we had 10% of the student body in a Christian fellowship group. Uh, so we just saw so many of our friends come to faith. And along the way, we found something amazing. We found this church nearby. It was about 40 miles away where they were not dressing up on Sundays and they were worshiping with guitars, which was unbelievably radical at the time. And they were also very active in Holy Spirit ministry. And it was sort of like somebody was finally doing church in our language. And it was helped along by the fact that finally, for the first time, we actually had Bible translations in modern English. So it's like the Bible was in our language. We used to like get together every night of the week just for Bible studies because it was so exciting to read the Bible in our own language and discover new things that we didn't see before. And so you know, I had a few buddies and our, our th thought was sort of like, if our friends could just see church in our language, they would want to be, they would want to follow Jesus too. So we just invited people like crazy to go to this church. Just come with us. It'll, you'll, it's different than all the others. It's, it'll be amazing. Uh, in fact, you know, we found this guy who had a six passenger vehicle. And so we started inviting people to use this vehicle to get to church. One, one weekend, we put 15 college students in this car. <laughs> this is before the days of seatbelt laws. <laughs> <laughs> well, not surprisingly, one day the, uh, the uh, car broke down. And it's like, what are we going to do? Like, we've invited all these people to go to church on Sunday. Like, uh, what are we going to do? And my buddy says, I think maybe we're going to have to do church ourselves. So sort of a, a discussion ensued. All right, I'll do the worship if you do the preach. <laughs> and we just started passing the word around. We're going to have church at Steve's house at my dorm room, basically. And the first week, about 30 college students jammed into this room for church. And we did that a couple of weeks. And then this family near the campus heard about it and they opened their house and they took all the furniture out of their living room, dining room, so that it would hold more people. And we moved over there. And pretty soon 
we were having like 100 people every Sunday. Wow. People from town started coming as well as college students. And of course, there's no getting back in the car at that point. You know, that's just sort of like we went going. And then I graduated. And I forgot about it until 10 years later, they said, I got contacted by them. They said, hey, we're having our 10-year reunion. Can you come back since you helped start the church? So, and that church is still there. So that was the first church plant. And the, the interesting thing I want is that I think that is a good takeaway is that two things. Number one, it's about having church in your language. And there has to be somebody who's like a crazy inviter. It's just invite just anybody who'll stop and listen long enough. You just have to be a crazy inviter. It's just, and that's why we have church planting, really, so that people can do exactly that. So they can invite all their friends that they think will love it if they just get a chance to see it. So then I moved to Chicago and it was the same game again, really. It was like, how can I find a church in my language that I can invite all my friends to? And, well, the long story was that I couldn't find one, making it, you know, kind of shorten it up a little bit. And uh, so, but I did find some <clears throat> friends who had similar interests. And we started a Thursday night prayer meeting in this couple's house. It started with this man and his wife and me. But three months later, they were having like 70, 80 people crowding into their living room <laughs> and dining room every week. <laughs> anyway that eventually led to starting a church so i always tell and that's the church that i just finished leading the evanston vineyard and i always told people like i didn't start this church for all you people i started it for me so i could have a church i could go to and invite all my friends to <laughs> uh, but of course god had his own intentions in the whole thing and it has been filled with many surprises over the years, wonderful surprises over the way. But, you know, I think that the big takeaway is just there was this desire to have church in our language and a church that we can invite our friends to. So, Steve, that's that's really interesting that um, the kind of the genesis of the church wasn't caught up in technicalities. You know, like we we kind of get quite sophisticated about church planting and having all the all the correct things in place and you know having our five-year plan or two-year plan or whatever it might be but for you it was a lot more organic and grassroots yeah we i mean we didn't have any plan other than who's going to preach next sunday <laughs> <laughs> and uh we just knew that we we wanted to we wanted to have church. We wanted to meet together because we found real power, life changing power, really, in the worship and in the Bible study. And we just wanted to do it together. And uh, so we just pursued it. You know, we, we made, of course, lots of mistakes. We didn't have there were no books then or. I mean, now there's so many resources, it's unbelievable, but there wasn't hardly anything yeah. um, at that point in time in the mid-1970s. So you just, but then again, you're riding this giant wave of 
you know, where Jesus was popular, Jesus was, mm-hmm. you know, acceptable, you know, you know, in pop culture, you know, even Bob Dylan kind of had his Jesus album and, yeah. you know, all of that. So, you know, it kind of carried you through, even though you didn't have much technical know-how. Yeah. But yeah. I, I, the, the other interesting thing is we were just crazy. Like we just invited everybody and we were willing to do anything. And there's something, there's something attractive about that, isn't there? There's something that draws other people to it. Yeah. And so obviously when you started, that wasn't necessarily a vineyard church. Um, no, it wasn't a vineyard church. We hadn't met the vineyard yet. So tell us, tell us how that happened, how you got connected to John Wimber and the Vineyard. Well, you know, when we started this church in Chicago, you know, it didn't take very long before we found out being a church by yourself is actually not very much fun. Or at least not as much fun as we thought it would be. That, you know, uh, and we started realizing, you know, we, we need input, you know, <laughs> We need some outside help. We don't have it all ourselves. Uh, so we wanted input, and but we just didn't know who to get connected to. And so we kind of started just sort of trying out different networks that were emerging at the time. And I remember one guy said, he, he was very wise. He said, look, you can't go apostle shopping, <laughs> you, you know, or network shopping. You you have to ask God where you belong and God has to put you there. So he kind of kind of told us, you know, this is going to be more of a spiritual thing and you need to pray more than shop. Because it's not a matter of just lining them all up and then thinking, well, I think this one's a little better than that one. It's not like that. It's sort of like God has a place for you, and he's going to assign it to you, but he, it has to come from God, which is, I think, very true. So we actually prayed and sought God for a number of years. It wasn't right away. It was two, three, four years. And then through a series of, you know, one of those things where there's a series of, I knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody kind of thing. We found out about the vineyard and John Wimber, who was teaching this class at Fuller Seminary, and all this stuff was happening. And we, the more we looked into it, the more we liked it, because it was like you could have the spirit and yet still not, and not have to throw your brains away at the same time. And you know, you didn't have to be super dramatic. You could be low key. And it seemed like, you know, they avoided the hype. And uh, so then we invited somebody to come and do a conference for us. And that went well. And then we decided just, just let's just go out to Anaheim and check it out on the ground just to make sure that it's not just publicity. <laughs> and we went out there. And while we were out there, I got blasted by the Holy Spirit. I mean, three and a half hours on the floor with fire up and down my body, screaming. 
And uh, when I came back, there was the power of God fell on our church, and we were never the same. And so then out of that, we ended up in the vineyard. But it was very much a sense of God called us to this. Like he put us in the vineyard family. It wasn't like, you know, we, it was really very much like being born in a family. You don't like go family shopping, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, you get born in a family and you're stuck with that family <laughs> for good or for ill, you know, and I just felt like God put us in this family and it's not perfect, but this is the family God put us in. So like, we need to make the best of it and the most of it. And mostly it's been good. I mean, we, we, we love this family. Yeah. That's, that's so great to hear. Um, I, I didn't realize that about your story. So that's, it's new to me. So that's, that's just brilliant. You, you mentioned that, you know, we, we've made mistakes. We haven't, it's not always been plain sailing, so to speak. Um, was there ever a time maybe in those early years but also as you have journeyed over the last 50 years like where you have have doubted what what you're doing and or you've thought like god are you for real like um and how have you because clearly you've stayed you've stayed on track you've stayed in ministry and you have had incredible Im impact how how have you navigated those seasons of assuming that you've had them of kind of yeah I'm not sure what I'm doing. Is this right, God? Well, I felt that way thousands of Mondays. <laughs> oh, phew. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the funny thing about leaders and pastors is no matter how much God does, no matter how many people's lives are changed, no matter how many people are sitting there, you always want more. Mm -hmm. You always think there should be more. And part of that is good and part of it's not so good. I mean, there, part of it is maybe, you know, human ambition. Now, you know, we always want more and more and more. But part of it, I think, reflects the Holy Spirit who is always seeking the lost and always wants to leave the 99 and go out and find the next lost one. So in a certain sense, we never sit easy because the job is never done. Because, you know, there is something in us that want, always wants to reach out for the next, for that next person, for that next town, for whatever it is, you know, that wants to reach whoever's lost, whoever's forgotten. And... That's something I love about the Holy Spirit, that he does that with us. But that also means then that there is a little dissatisfaction always in the midst of following him. But we find our satisfaction in his presence. Yeah. Yeah. Of which there's always enough. I love hearing your answers even from how you ended up like planting because you you distill it right down I think Steve G mentioned that we we overcomplicate it we make it like church planting we want to make it more sophisticated and we you know we need to plan and la 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 but actually like when we boil it down we when when you distill it like that it's like actually there is doubt there is dissatisfaction but 
actually in the presence of Jesus, that's where that's where we are satisfied. Yeah. yeah. So thank you. Steve, you also um, obviously with your history at Everston Vineyard, you also became a church that planted churches and obviously that slotted into your role with Vineyard USA as well. But what what was some of that journey like, you know, becoming a church that reproduces? You know, uh, the first church plant we did here in the city in an um, impoverished neighborhood, it became because God was speaking to us prophetically about ministering and reaching out to the poor. And at that point in time, we we were still kind of thinking the poor just need a church like this. If they had a church in their language, they would like it too. So, so uh, Cindy and I actually sort of took a leave from the church for a little while and moved to this uh, rough neighborhood in Chicago uh, to start another church. Uh, it turned out to be a good deal more complicated than we realized. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, it was, it was, this is before we met the vineyard, but God used it to bring me to the end of myself. You know, used it to bring me to the point where I really knew I needed God. I, I remember, uh, one Sunday down there, a guy comes in and he falls on his knees in front of me and grabs me. And he says, I'm a heroin addict. I'm in hell and I need help. Can you help me? And at that point in time, I just remember feeling like I had nothing, uh, nothing for him. And it kind of sent me on a search for God's power. Like I, I, I need, I need something more than just a church in my language. I need something with some serious power here. And uh, that kind of prepared the way for meeting the vineyard, actually. So that was the first one. Uh, once we met the vineyard, uh, you know, we had this big outpouring in our church and people just started coming in droves. I mean, all kinds of people started coming. And, it, and then, then it, you know, people came from long distances, but they were coming from farther away. You know, so we would have, you know, we would have groups of people coming from other communities, like 40 minutes away, an hour away, you know, they're driving to be a part of this thing. And so, it wasn't long till you know people started popping up who said, "Well, I'd like to take that group and try to make a church out there." You know, which everybody wanted because they knew what we were and they were willing to drive, but they couldn't invite their friends. So then we just found ourselves church planting here, there, and everywhere around the city of Chicago. Hmm. And by that point, then it became sort of like a thing like people knew like oh this church plants churches um and so then they started coming to get trained and then go 
there. And so then, you know, we planted churches in other cities and, and even in other countries, you know, it was really very much driven. And I think this is important to say is driven by the move of the spirit. Like the spirit of God was coming and empowering people and ambushing people. And he was calling them to it. And then they were just coming and saying, you know, I feel like God's calling me to go to wherever. And we just said, yes, we just kind of followed this thing. So we didn't have some grand strategy. It, it was just following the Holy Spirit as best we knew how, and just saying yes over and over and over again. So that's how we ended up with the churches in Ireland. Like, I never in a million years would have said, oh, Ireland's a good place to plant churches. <laughs> I wouldn't have thought that that was a good plan. But that's not how it happened, you know, like God, God like called, called people and he put them in our path and lo and behold, there it happened. You know, and of course, wonderful things took place, but yeah. Steve, I remember you telling me the story of how you started the vineyard in Belfast. Huh. You kind of did it from a distance, but yeah. Well, so it's interesting. So we'd started the church in Dublin, which is uh, with Sean and Debbie Byrne, and, and there's a whole story there of how the Spirit of God sovereignly came on him and called him to this you know he he was just like a catholic accountant guy who thought he was going to have a normal life <laughs> and he actually you know went to a member conference and nothing was ever the same again and and so then there was a group of people up in belfast that contacted uh, the vineyard in, you know, in Anaheim and said, uh, you know, we'd like to have a vineyard up here in Belfast. And they just kicked it to me because they knew I was already involved in Ireland and they were overwhelmed. So it just got sent to me. And so as it happened, I was going to visit the Burns in Dublin shortly. So I thought, well, We'll, we'll just drive up to Belfast and uh, check these people out, see if there's anything there we can work with and see if there's somebody there who's a church planner. So that's what we did. And uh, when we got there, there was one family, a, a husband and his wife. They had teenage kids. And when I saw them, I felt like the Lord said, they're the ones. Pick them. So I got them in the kitchen. We were meeting in this guy's house and we got in the kitchen and I told them the story and that we were contemplating planting a vineyard church. And as I was telling them, the Holy Spirit came on them in power. They, they both ended up on the floor of the kitchen screaming at the Holy Spirit, just completely overwhelming them. And so what happened was, is we told the people that were uh, interested you have to give the money to support this family so they can come to Chicago for two years 
get trained and we'll send them back and they'll start your church. And that's what they did. <laughs> and then, you know, they got it started. And then Andy Smith and his wife, Harmony, they went over there to be assistant pastors. And then uh, when the Corrigans, that's who the couple that started the church, decided to move on, then and they gave it to Andy and he took it from there. But again, it was just like, it's like a sovereign move of God. Yeah. I think that's what we're hungry for. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. Yeah. Like with that, with that couple, the Corrigans, you said, you know, God, God said, they're the couple, they're the family. Sounds like a Samuel David moment. Um, was besides, obviously this might sound silly, but besides, besides it being the spirit of God, was there anything else about them that you were like, they're, they're church planters? Or was it literally just a divine intervention thing? Mostly. I mean, I knew that they were leading some kind of ministry at the time. Okay. But they hadn't been church planners before. It, it was mostly just the Samuel David the kind of a thing. That's the one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Incredible. So as you kind of, as you look back over your years of ministry, like are there kind of stand, and, well, I'm sure there's lots, but could you share with us a couple of really standout moments that you would not trade in? because of either something you saw God do or yeah, just life transformation happen. You mean in the church? Yeah, or yeah, in, and, and yeah, that you've been part of. Oh, well, um, so many things. Yeah. Back in 19, I think I was 87 or maybe it was 88, I'm not, quite sure which year it was Wimber did a series of conferences in South Africa and it was still during the days of apartheid but he had insisted that if he came the meetings had to be integrated which is the language that we used in those days that we weren't going to do it under the apartheid rubric and that we had to be able to go to one of the black townships so uh, we ended up spending a, a day doing a sort of a, a day outreach thing at a soccer stadium in Soweto outside of Johannesburg. And we saw miracles that day, like you wouldn't believe. I mean, so some of the people from our church, you know, one, one, one guy found a bunch of people lined up with nobody, nothing at the front. So he grabs a translator, goes over, asks the people in the line, why are you all lined up? They said, we're waiting for somebody to come heal us. <laughs> he runs to the front of the line with his translator and starts praying for people. And literally every single person he prayed for got healed. You know, so we had days like that. Um, you know, and then there's other, other interesting things like one day I'm at home and I'm watching a documentary on television, a history documentary, and the Lord kind of interrupts and says, uh, I'm going to make your church a multicultural, multiracial church, and by the time I get done, there won't be a majority group. 
at that point we were like 95% white and uh, boom, it started happening from that point forward. And it came true about 12 years ago, 12, 13 years ago, we don't have a majority group. Wow. And we have people from 55 different nations of the world in our church. So it's just, you know, it's sort of a moment that kind of announced something that God was going to do. And then it took place over the next 20 years, just year by year by year, more and more and more and more people. But we ended up with a church that was very different than what we anticipated. You know, when we had our 40th anniversary, one of the things we said to people was that you need to understand that the church we are now is not the church we envisioned at the front. Like, um, God had much bigger plans than we did. <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, there were surprises along the way that we did not anticipate at the beginning, including this thing about diversity, including the thing about planting lots of churches. We didn't foresee any of those things. We, we didn't have a articulate vision for that kind of stuff, but God just did it. And I think, you know, when you're planting a church, you're starting an adventure with God that you don't actually know where it's going to end up. Mm. You know, and uh, if you will let him, God will take you into places far beyond your wildest dreams. Sold. Uh, <laughs> having planted a church, <laughs> I'm like, yes, I'm, I'm refreshed. I'm reminded of why we do this. It's yeah. So just before we, we pause for a break, you, you talked right at the beginning about the fact that you have handed on the baton to your successor, you, uh, for leading the Evanston Vineyard kind of, can you tell us a bit about that journey of, of, you know, deciding it was time to retire and how, how did you, how did you go about that? And what, what does, yeah, what sort of things that has God said to you in all of that? Well, you know, I was, I was becoming aware that I didn't have the same energy or the same drive I once did. And I also didn't have the patience with sort of the foibles of people that I once did. I was getting grumpy in our language. And I thought it would probably be a good idea to retire before this grumpiness gets really bad. <laughs> and, you know, you always want to, you want to retire when you're at your peak, not when people are saying he should have quit five years ago. Yeah. So, you know, I started thinking it was time. And so we, I just started praying and asking God to call somebody. And I had a list of things I wanted the person to have, but especially they had to already be in the vineyard because remember God had placed us in the vineyard family. So yeah. that wasn't going to be at risk. That, that was like a non-negotiable. Um, and I wanted it to be somebody that was uh, supernaturally called by God that would do it not because, oh, this looks like an interesting position. I'll send in my CV and, whatnot but somebody who knows that they know that they know that god put them there and that's what happened 
So this guy, Ted Kim, he's a Korean American. He actually was an intern at our church many years ago. So for him to come back and lead was like coming back home. And uh, he had everything on my list and, and, you know, God sovereignly called him. I like all kinds of prophetic words from people all over the country about how God was calling him to this new position and it was in Chicago and, and uh, you know, it, the interesting thing is we had a timeline in mind, but then this, the Holy Spirit spoke to him and kind of blew the cover on the thing a little early that, earlier than our timeline um, was set up for. So it kind of accelerated us by about a year uh, over where we originally thought we were going to be. But what that meant was that he took over just as the pandemic hit. So it allowed us to get in place before the pandemic. So God is really good to me. Yeah. <laughs> wow. What a story and, and what a legacy that you leave. I think the thing, I, I don't know what you think, Steve G, but I, from all that you've said over the last 40 minutes or so, just it seems that it's so many divine interventions, so many supernatural kind of moves of God, just miracles that just seems like they've punctuated your entire story. And, and that just makes me hungry for more. I'm like, you know, the thing that I can pray is more Lord and help and come Holy Spirit. And I think that's, that's about where I feel like my qualifications stop. But actually, it sounds like from your experience, actually, you know, that's the place to stay. That's the place to be. Um, so, yeah. Did you want yeah. to say anything else? No. No, you know, well, at this point in my life, I'm not trying to make things happen. Yeah. I'm just trying to keep saying yes to him. Yeah. He sets the pace and I just keep saying yes. I don't have to make things happen. And, uh, when you do that, doing the ministry is like sailing. You just put your wind up and the wind takes you. And I think too many leaders are rowing. They're trying to make things happen when actually all they need to do is put their sail up. Yeah. Uh, that feels like the perfect moment to pause this conversation. Thank you so much, Steve.